This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. And I want to preach about reframing problems. Reframing. You see that picture frame there? We're going we're gonna to talk about reframing problems. I was recently told about a fellow that, man, this guy had a, he had a tough thing going in his life because he lost the use of his legs. Uh, he lost the use of his legs. He was, he was limited to the use of a little scooter, a little wheelchair. And then as life would have it, as life would have it, it was like one one problem led to another problem because he then lost his ability to speak. So this this fellow that I'm referencing this morning, he uh, had a tough he had a tough go of things. He lost his legs and he lost his ability to speak. But yet it's known that he runs around town in this little scooter, wearing a neat little hat with some letters put on the top of the hat, and it says, "God is good." God is good. And when I heard about this man's story, it, it really made me just kind of stop and come under this um, sobering thought. I don't have anything to complain about. Matter of fact, I want you to lean up, lean up in front of you, tap that person on the shoulder in front of you and tell them you need to stop complaining about how bad you got it. Now, some of y'all enjoying that too much. Now what you need to do, all of you that got tapped, all of you that just got tapped, you need to turn around and say, you better get your hand off me. He's talking about you. He was talking about you. That's right. Why is it that we all feel like we got something to complain about? You want me to tell you why? Because we've not looked at someone else in a long time. We're so self-absorbed. We're so drunk on me-itis that we think the whole world revolves around us. Uh, Adam Shepard led us in a beautiful song this morning about Jesus being the sinner. Uh, Some of you had a hard time singing that song because you think you're the sinner of everything. And everything revolves around you and all your life's problems. Can I just tell you something that we're going we're gonna to help ourselves out today because we're going to reframe how we're looking at life's uh, realities because the fact, of the, the fact of the matter is we do have problems, but it's all about how we see it. You know, the outcome, the finished product, the outcome of your life It really depends on the outlook of your life. How it all shakes out, Heather. How it's all going to be at the end of your life story is going to be how you saw it. How you envisioned it to be. It's the outlook of your life. Because while it's true we all have problems, our greatest problems are not our life circumstances. Our greatest problems are perceptual problems. It's how we're seeing the realities of our life. It's how we see it. This morning, I uh, have to admit something to you that when it comes to decorating 
I'm not the best decorator in the room by, by, by far. I'm, I actually have one title in my home when it comes to decorating, and that is uh, just to say yes. I'm a yes man. I just say yes. It looks good. I like it. I dig it. Uh, a, a lot of you fellas, y'all have a gift in decorate. Pastor Anthony, man, that dude can take this piece of carpet right here and make it look just so unbelievable tomorrow. He's gifted in that. Some of you ladies have a gift in decorating. I don't. I just have some good common sense, though. And I do know that when it comes to a picture, it matters what frame you put around the picture. The frame matters most. Uh, it's just kind of easy to get this. If you put a brown fl- uh, frame around the, the picture, you're probably going to pick up, your eyes are going to focus on a lot of the brown colors in the picture. If you put a, a bright, hot, pink frame around the picture, you're going to really see a hot, bright, pink frame. That's about all. But <laughs> So you try to get you a frame that... <laughs> Helps the picture. You know what I mean? It brings focus into the picture. And this morning, for just a few minutes, what I want you to try to do, I want you to go with me into thinking for a moment. I want you to stretch yourself uh, by faith this morning. And I want you to liken the Word of God to a frame. I want you to think of the Bible being the frame around your problems because you've got some and you need to have the Bible as the frame around your problems you see if you even think about yourself if you try to look at yourself without the framework of the word of God uh, you're not going to see yourself as the way God sees yourself. You're going to have some identity issues. You're going to struggle with knowing really who you are. You're not going to see yourself as a child of God. Uh, because it, absent or apart from the word of God, uh, you wouldn't even realize that you are a child of God. You think about the framework of, of the word of God around how you see other people. When you look at other people With the framing of God's word, you see them as irreplaceable. You see them as valuable. You see them as lovable. You take the framework of scripture away, now you see people less than you. You see through the lens of racism. You see through the lens of judgment. You see through the lens, even in the house of God, you take the word of the Lord out of it, you can come into a church setting and have have, have eyes of legalism. Don't preach me down now. Don't, don't, don't just rear off and help me preach this morning. Is it a little tight in here? But just stay with me for a moment here while we, while we go down this path together. It's the frame, it's the frame of the word of the Lord that helps us focus on what God is trying to get across to us. So basically, you put a frame around your problems You won't really focus on the circumstances at hand. You will be focusing on what God's trying to accomplish through what life has put on your front porch. Somebody needs to say amen this morning. Let's talk about three tough 
tough topics. There's three topics. Uh, these are not like three points of a sermon. These are just some topics that I know are difficult for all of us to, to talk about. So I want to hit them quickly as we move further into this sermon time. Let's talk about persecution uh, trials and something that all of us, uh, all of us will, will approach one day either with a loved one. We'll eventually deal with it with our own, uh, our own selves as we come down to the end of life. Let's talk about death. I know these are tough topics, but we need to address them for a few moments as we reframe how we see them. Let's talk about persecution. Now, when we think persecution, we naturally, uh, as children of God, we naturally start thinking about, you know, the Christian faith being under persecution. That's, that's an obvious. But, you know, you, as an individual, can be persecuted for some crazy stuff. You, you, you know, people can persecute you for just nitpicky things, and you can feel the pressure of people, co-workers, family members, neighbors, friends at school, uh, you can get certain people in your life that all they want to do is just push your buttons and persecute you every day. And apart from the word of God, you'll find yourself getting into an all-in-all Walmart parking lot fight with somebody. You'll be showing up to work with box cutters and stuff. Because you're done with people messing with you and pushing your little buttons and your attitude snap. Next thing you know, you're on the nightly news. You know what I'm talking about. But if you put it through, if you put it through the word of God, persecution actually takes on a whole nother meaning. And this is crazy. This is what the Bible says about persecution. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 11. Blessed are you. Man, we're stretching it, aren't we? Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. Blessed? So when people say a lie about me, I'm blessed? When people revile me, when they criticize me, when they come at me, I'm blessed? I'm not blessed I'm, I'm like ticked. <laughs> Blessed, ticked. They don't go together. But yet the Bible says, if you think about persecution through the framing of Scripture, believe it or not, it says you're blessed because this persecution comes for my sake, the word of the Lord says. And then it says this. This is going to stretch some of you because it says rejoice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, rejoice. You're going to get my little dance on, right? I'm going to rejoice when people are coming at me like this. It says rejoice and be exceeding glad. Man, you're taking it too far. Exceeding glad. And then it's just like we're going even higher. For great is your reward. And then it just cuts you to the bone. In heaven. <laughs> Why is it all got to come in heaven? <laughs> I know I started on this journey years ago to get to glory, but I'm a, I would like to get a little something out of it now. Well, the Bible says you're blessed. It says rejoice. It says be glad. Get your dance on when you're persecuted because you're going to get a great reward in heaven. <laughs> what about trials? <laughs> Easy straw cutter. He's thinking, money, money, money. 
Easy straw cutter. I ain't talking about them kind of trials. James chapter number 1, talking about trials in this life. James 1 and verse 2 says, this is funny because it's like, man, when you talk about trials, you have to go total King James Version and use words like brethren. He starts out, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. You just need to know this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Okay, man, I know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to a a church full of really patient people. And I know, I know that you don't, I know you have no problems with other people. I know you have no problems with, 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 with things going awry on your job, in your home. I know you, I know you just, here's that, here's that word that's so weird to say. You ooze long suffering. I know you just, you, you cut you open. Man, you're just patient in your bone marrow. But that's lacking with the man in the pulpit this morning. I have no patience. I struggle with this. But yet the Bible tells me that I need to count it all joy when my patience is being tried, when my faith is being tried. I need to be happy about it. So in other words, you know where I'm going. The next time, Marsha, that my patience is being tested, I need to be happy about it. Now, apart from the Word of God, that's insane because there's not one thing in me that's happy whenever my patience is being messed with. But thanks be unto the Lord that I have this little reframing ability in the Word of God to help me whenever I am getting a little frazzled, when I'm getting a little worked up, when I'm getting a little tight, I've got to remind myself You need to look through this through Scripture, take a deep breath, and just count it all joy. Because my reward's coming in heaven. You see that? You have a hard time preaching with me on this. What about death? Man, this is a whole nother level here. I shared this little example in the first service. I'll do my best to make it quick in this second one here. When, when Denora and I got married, uh, there was a lot of things coming together then. There was a lot of things coming together under one roof. First of all, I'm from southwest Louisiana. She's from California. And those two now are under the same roof together. Not only that, if you have not realized, I'm white. She's not. So all of a sudden, I mean, I was, I was introduced to Menudo. I thought it was like a cousin or something. I'm like, where, where do they live, baby? No, baby, we're going to like, we're having Menudo. Oh, they're going to sleep with it in the house? Who, who's Menudo? thought it was a band or something. So when Denora and I came together, and, you know, since we do frame our worlds around the word of the Lord, these two are one. So now her people are my people, glory, adios. 
These two are one. But man, I'll never forget my first trip to Tijuana, Mexico with her. And it was for a funeral. And man, I come from the south where, you know, when a loved one dies, you know, uh, you go to a viewing service. And you, you go in and you stand in line and you walk by and you give your respects and you shake a few hands. And then you go maybe into a family room or then you go over to somebody's house and you call it a night because you got to get up the next day for the, for the, for the funeral, right? Uh-uh. All night long. Somebody's got to sit with the body. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking, what have I got myself hooked up with? First of all, I've got a cousin named Menudo. Now we've got to stay up all night long. And there was such wailing and grieving and crying. Well, this particular member of the family was really, uh, the, the, if, you, if you peel back the layers of the family, they were very uh, rooted in the, in the Catholic faith. And for all of our, if we have Catholic friends here today, this is not a, a critical statement about, about your upbringing or your background. It's just the difference in cultures. Because there was such grieving and, and travailing and deep mourning all night long that, you know, what the Bible says about this whole thing, this whole transition from life to eternal life, if you really think about it, this is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15. It's all about, everybody say framing. It's all about how you want to look at it. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15 and 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I was at a whole different experience just a few weeks ago. I was at an experience just like two weeks ago with a, with a, a deceased Pentecostal preacher's funeral. Man, the choir was singing. The preacher was preaching. Everybody was hugging and happy. It's all about perspective. You take the word of God out of one's life, you will grieve when your loved one passes because life is over as you know it. There's an emptiness, there's a longing, there's a deep yearning for just one more day with him. You put the word of God around it, all of a sudden you say, thank God for those 70 years with them. But I celebrate the fact that they're walking on streets of gold today. I celebrate the fact that they're with the angels celebrating and worshiping God today. It's, it's all about, it's all about framing. It's perspective. How do you want to see it? Come on, somebody. Now think about Paul. You know, Paul dealt with some trials and persecution and ultimately death, but I don't think anyone in this last topic that I deal with quickly this morning, when we go a little further beyond just persecution, trial, and death, we think about suffering. No one in here just really is ready to sign up on, first on the list for suffering. But Philippians 1 and 29, <laughs> it's kind of funny. Philippians 1 and 29 
It's kind of one of them scriptures that you wish wouldn't have made the cut to get in the Bible, you know. You kind of wish that God would have said, I don't think that's good enough. I don't think we need to put that in there. Because it really messes with suffering in a biblical perspective. Philippians 1.29, for unto you it is given, it's given, it's given, it's given, it's given. In the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. One particular reading of the scripture says, it's like a gift that's given to you. Oh, thanks for that. Anybody ever got a Christmas around the corner? Everybody got a Christmas gift before you opened it and you almost went, what? Man, don't raise your hand, bro. Man, your mama's in this service. And we know there ain't no chicks been giving you no gifts. It's your mama been giving you gifts. Watch out, Mark. Watch out. I'll regret that when Mark, you know, he's, a, he's, he's such an unbelievable volunteering all out. I got a feeling at our, at our Christmas, I mean our New Year's service rather, when he's up speaking, he may take a shot at Pastor Tommy right there because he'll be speaking at our uh, 31st of December service. But check this out. No one knew suffering like Paul. No one knew suffering like Paul. The message, it makes it so plain on what Paul had to go through. Some of you think you have it bad. Some of you think you have a right to complain. Man, compare your life to Paul's life. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 23. I've worked so hard. I've been in jail more often. I've been beaten up more times than I can count. I've been at death's door time after time. And then Paul, he just takes it to a whole nother level. I've been flogged five times. Anybody here ever been flogged? Now, I felt like I was flogged coming up in Tom Sr.'s house. But even as bad as I had it as a kid, there wasn't any flogging. Paul says, I've been flogged five times with the Jews, 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks. I've been shipwrecked three times, immersed in the sea for a day and a night. I've been traveling year in and year out. I've had to ford rivers. I had to fend off robbers. I've struggled with friends. I've struggled with foes. I've been at risk in the city, risk in the country. I've been endangered by the desert sun. I've been endangered by storms at sea. I've been betrayed by those that I thought were my brothers. I've known drudgery. I've known hard labor. Many a long and lonely night without sleep. Many a missed meal, blasted by the cold. I've been naked in the weather. And then this is just funny for me as a preacher. He does all of that. That's pretty bad, Chloe. He's had a bad go at life. And then this is hilarious. Then he says, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the pressure and anxieties of all these churches I'm pastoring. <laughs> he said, I've been flogged. But let me tell you about the people I pastor. I've been pummeled with rocks, but man, I got to tell you about brother so-and-so. I've been beaten with a rod, but do you know sister so-and-so? <laughs> My man said, I've got the worst life in the world, but let me tell you about the churches I pastor. Hilarious. And then he wraps it up and says, this is so hard for me to read thinking about how blessed I am, Opal. This is hard for me to read that Paul says, if I have to brag about myself, 
I guess the only thing I can really brag about is the humiliations in this life that make me like Jesus. And we think we have room to complain. We think we've got problems. We think that we've got some tough days. <laughs> you take this out, yeah, you're having a rotten day, aren't you? You put this in, and all of a sudden you start realizing how good God's been to you. You start considering that he woke you up this morning. You start considering that he started you on your way. You start thinking about the breath that's running through your lungs. You start thinking about your mind being clear. You start thinking where you could be this morning, but you're up in here in the house of the Lord. You start thinking about how you used to live and now how you're living for God. You start thinking about all the places you used to go, but yet you woke up and come to church this morning. You take this out. Oh, you've got it bad. You put this in, all of a sudden you start seeing how good God is. Somebody clap your hands. Clap your hands. Clap your hands to the Lord. We don't want to say this and we don't want to receive this, but it's apparent to me that through the life of Paul that the bigger the problems and the more the problems you have, the more that God is stretching you and expanding your capacity to serve him. Because I don't know anyone that had it worse than Paul. And I don't know anyone that was used any greater than Paul. It seems like the bigger the problem, the greater the miracle. It seems like the worst of the day, the better the testimony. The darker of the night, the brighter of the morning. Come on, somebody. Let me give you, let me give you just one more thing to consider about reframing how to look at your life's problems. Let me give you just one more. Really, at the end of the day, there's only two types of people in this world when you look at it through the framework of, of, of our faith, and that is there's complainers and there's worshipers. A complainer will always have something to complain about. They don't have to look far. Man, they can wake up in the middle of the night and have something to complain about, or they can sleep in until noon and have something to complain about. But a worshiper, Sam... A worshiper will always have something to give God praise about. A complainer will always be a complainer. A worshiper will always have a reason to give God praise and glory. You think about Paul and Silas in the book of Acts chapter number 16. They were somewhat like Paul here in the story that we, or the, or the account that we read in, 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 out of the message. Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison because of their stance, because of their commitment to Christ and the gospel. They were thrown into prison and that wasn't good enough because the magistrate said rip them of their, rent them of their clothing and put them in the inner prison and they charged the jailer to look after them. So the jailer obeyed the command. He puts them in, in handcuffs, so to speak, in stocks or chains around their feet, takes them to the inner prison. Now, I would think that Paul and Silas at this point are emotionally spent. I would think, Nadia, that they are physically spent. I would think that they are spent spiritually spent. I would think that they're probably at their tipping point by saying, Zachary, what is up with this? We tried to do right for God and look at what it got us. But that's not how these men saw it. Because here comes verse 25. The Bible says, but at midnight, at the darkest of the hour. <laughs> Ooh, I feel like preaching this morning. And at midnight, when things could not get any worse, 
when there was absolutely zero hope of their circumstances changing. The Bible says at midnight they prayed. And at midnight they sang. And at midnight they gave praise unto God. Something tells me that they were not focusing on the circumstance. They were focusing on the problem solver. And they knew that if they could just keep doing what got them into the problem, something was going to get them out of the problem. They were going to pray out of the problem. They were going to sing out of the problem. They were going to praise out of the problem. And before you know it, and suddenly an earthquake came. And the jail was open. Let me help somebody understand what I'm trying to get across this morning as I I come to a close. Stay with me for a minute. What happens when we get locked in on a problem, we zoom in. We, We zoom in on the problem. We don't see anyone else. We don't see anything else. We see the problem. And we go into panic mode. We have anxieties. We, we, we get nervous. We get stressed because all we know is a problem. But worship zooms you out of the problem. And it enlarges your ability of sight and your perspective on the problem changes. The problem doesn't go away. But the focus changes because the frame allows you to see what the frame wants you to see. And when worship's a part of your life, it zooms you out away from the problem. And you, you, the, the, it changes the focus. And you refocus on what I'm just going to call the big picture. You refocus on the bigger picture at hand. You remember in worship that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this world and died for all humanity. If you're zoomed in, you won't even be thinking about Jesus Christ. You'll be thinking about your problems. But if you zoom out and worship, all of a sudden you remember, I'm a child of God. I'm in the hand of the Lord. He's taking me where he wants me to go. He's in control of my life. Come on now. Zoom in. Zoom in too close, Bobby. The world's falling apart. Zoom in too close. We're not going to survive this financial hurdle. Zoom in too close. I know we're going to have to file for divorce. Zoom in too close. I know this is a terminal illness. I'll never come out of it. Zoom in too close. All you see is things that are wrong and negative and that are of this world. Zoom out, friend. You zoom out, friend, and you get your eyes on God and start worshiping. You'll start realizing that I'm a child of God. He's got it all under control. He's going to work it out for me. He is going to prosper me. He's going to heal me. He's going to restore me. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. How do you want to see it? How do you want to see it? Over the last few weeks, we've had a few little, little kids around here, some of our children have experienced the, the pain of a broken bone. I think of Sadie Downs. Little Sadie Downs broke both arms in the last few weeks. And uh, I think about little Jackson, uh, little Jackson uh, Mason. He, he, he has a broken bone this, this last few weeks. 
You know this body of mine, I've got 206 bones. And every day, my bones are going under a process called remodeling. Mine just aren't growing. But they are going through something called remodeling. And they're being broken down by a little medical term called osteoclast. But yet they're being built back through a little medical term called osteoblast. And they're being broken down and rebuilt, broken down and rebuilt, broken down and rebuilt. But yet when a, little, uh, when a child or even an adult breaks the bone, this is where your grandma got all of the wisdom that she had. This is what happens. When that bone is broken, the body goes into overdrive and overtime. And it starts this osteoblasting at like, you know, just crazy amounts. And it allows the healing process of that bone to begin. And here's the cool part. Your grandma was right. That bone's going to come back thicker and stronger than it's ever been before, even before the break. And most likely it will never break in the same place that it was broken before because it's been healed and it's been restored. Listen to me, church, before we wrap this day up together. Life has a way of coming by and ringing your doorbell. And knocking on your door. Life has a way of coming by. We could be through a text message. It could be through a pink slip. It could be through a broken heart. It could be through a disturbed mind. Life has a way of coming by through relationships. Life has a way of coming by financially and breaking us. But God is in the remodeling business. And he has this ability through his grace and through his mercy. To do these God blasts of grace, these God blasts of mercy, and God's in the business of bringing you back stronger and healthier than you were ever before the problem. It comes down to how you want to see it. I know the divorce was painful, but if God gives you the ability for round two, you'll love her more than you did before. I know the bankruptcy was awful. But if God gives you the ability to come out of that, which he will, you'll be a better steward next time. We always want to get out of the situation we're in, and God's wanting you to get something out of the situation yes. you're in. That's it. We're wanting to keep moving. We want to get out of it. And God's saying, life has dumped you a, a problem on your front porch. But I'm going to take this problem if you will allow me and my grace and my mercy my strength if you will allow me the, the ability to work with your problem if you will put a new frame around your problem and let me handle it I will do something in your problem that you never imagined would happen you will be stronger and greater than you've ever been before this is the message of God's grace Adversity, problems, persecution, trials, death, suffering, all of these things. They are the seedbed. They are the doorway to potential and opportunity in Jesus. But if you dare look at your life, whether it be with your body, uh, whether it be your body dressed with cancer or your finances that are just in shambles, whether it's your marriage that's literally on the rocks, if you look at any of this part of your life apart from the word of God, you'll be ready to call it a day and give up and walk out on everybody that's ever loved you. But if you'll just give this preacher a chance in closing to show you that the Bible has a way of reframing your life's problem and God can do something right now in your life 
life greater than ever before. You'll be, you'll be the epitome of a husband. You'll be the brightest shining parent. You will be the best employee, possibly the best employer than you've ever been before if you'll just let him have your problems. Somebody recently sent me a cute little link to a little, little clip on YouTube. And they said, Pastor Tommy, I know you, you love little illustrations. And I love hearing those little cute stories. And oh, I, thought maybe, I thought of you when I saw this. I thought maybe you could use it. And boy, was it a neat little story. In the late 40s, a gentleman named Carol Reed put out a movie called The Third Man. And in this little movie, this little black and white clip, they sent me to a link of it. There was a, an argument taking place between two men. And this one man was a complainer, Pastor Manny. All he wanted to do was just speak venom about how bad his world was, how rotten his life was, and how there was never going to be anything good come out of his life. And the other gentleman responded to him in the movie. And he said, don't forget Italy. He said, don't forget Italy. During the 30 years under the Borgias uh, leadership, it was awful. They had bloodshed. They had war. Great disturbance throughout the whole land. But during that time, they produced Michelangelo. They produced Leonardo da Vinci. They produced the Renaissance. So be careful. And also, don't forget Switzerland. Because Switzerland had 500 years of brotherly love, democracy, and peace. You know what came out of that? The cuckoo clock. <laughs> if you missed that, you missed the whole sermon. <laughs> you say, why all these problems at my front door? Because God's wanting to bring something out of your life's problems. That could, that could change history. That could change your family dynamic forever. If you're just expecting life to be paved with roses and everything's perfect, really all you have looking forward to you is a cuckoo clock. I want you to stand this morning. I started this sermon out with saying that everything's about chance. You know, everybody just needs a chance. You remember that? Remember me telling you that a few minutes ago? We all just need a chance, right? I want to give you that chance. All over this room, and if we could just go all in together and have a big 100% participation with this, there's no telling what could happen. All over this room, if you'll close your eyes, feel like bowing your head even better there's a certain there's a certain message that's being sent forth today if you walked in here this Sunday morning and you kind of view your life as one that's troubled you view your life as one that is in need of of help I pray that you will Ignore the pride of life because the pride of life wants you just to stay, stay right where you are in that emotional and mental and spiritual state of troubled 
without ever doing anything about it. What I would like you to do is go beyond what the pride of life is asking you to do. And I'm wanting you to say yes to the calling of God. If you view your life as somewhat as a troubled life and you've got, you've got a problem that you're trying to deal with and you're just not sure how it's going to work out. The Holy Spirit would love to minister personally to you today. But it can only minister to those that welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You may say, Pastor Tommy, how do I do do that? What, What do I need to do to posture and position myself to receive a blessing and an answer from God? You just need to say yes. Yes to the Lord and give him lordship and oversight of your life. This morning all over this room, if if you're ready to take the plunge into the beautiful grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, if you're ready to declare him Lord and Savior over your life, I want you to slip your hand up real quick this morning. I want to pray with you personally. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you right over here in this corner. God's going to do something great for you right there in the back. God bless you, sir. I see your hand there right here in the front. Now, let me go further. If you're ready to give your problems over to Jesus Christ and you're ready to get some relief and some breathing room, you're ready to, you're ready to get some breathing room because you've been carrying this for a long time. If you're ready for just the Lord to relieve you of some stress today and some anxieties of how this problem's going to shake out, I want you to raise your hand this morning. I want to include you in this. Wow, look at these hands, Father. Holy Spirit, look at these hands, hands all over this room that need the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you've got your hand lifted up, I want you to quickly, and some of you are even in marriages together, I want you to quickly come. Mothers with daughters and sons, come quickly. All all of you with your hands up, don't wait another minute. I see you in the back there. Don't wait another second. If you've got your hand up, I want you to come quickly and stand here. I just want to pray with you personally. So many hands were up just now. These are ladies and men and families and students that just admit that they, they need something more. They need something extra. They need, they need something beyond their own understanding. They need something divine. They need something God.